Hi, I'm Christina with your host Samuel, and welcome to Over the Edge podcast, sponsored by the Edge Ministry. As of 2020, the Center for Disease Control (CDC) estimates that depression is the second most common cause of disability in the world, following only heart disease. Our initiative tonight is to discuss this very important, complex topic. We are pleased to have with us two distinguished guests: Sheila Stevens, a registered psychotherapist and marriage and family therapist, and Paul Stevens, an ordained minister and who has served 20 years as a hospital chaplain. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Did I get any of that wrong? <laughs> Perfect. It's all good. Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for all having right. us. Nice to be here. It's very nice to have you. So going into the deep end. Uh, so I'm going to read a small paragraph, and this will be a question for the both of you. So depression is a serious mental disorder, confronting an, an ever increasing number of people in our contemporary society. To start off, help our listeners with what is depression. When I think of depression, I think it's uh, uh, something that robs us of the joy of life, and uh, it is a very Uh, smart and uh, capable uh, foe when it comes to mental health. Uh, it begins by uh, understanding who you are, and in order to uh, understand uh, depression, it's good to understand who you are yourself, to know how it's going to work with you. So it's something that robs you of the joy of living. Is that would be my simple answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are quite a number of symptoms that we might experience, and I wonder if it might be helpful to the listeners just to list off some of the types of symptoms that go along with that. Um, so things like just feeling sad or down in the dumps, you know, feeling unhappy, or sometimes we call it feeling blue. We could have um, spells of tearfulness, uh, you know, that sense of really being discouraged, or you know, feeling hopeless. Uh, often, uh, low self-esteem goes along with that, mm-hmm. um, and that sense of feeling worthless or inadequate, you know, could be uh, guilt or shame. Uh, some people find themselves criticizing themselves or blaming themselves for what's going on, uh, and there's often a loss of interest and in family and um, friends and being together when normally one would want to do that. Uh, often the case, but then there's a pulling away. Um, from being with people, and at the same time, often feeling lonely. Um, so also um, losing interest in things that we normally are interested in, activities or even interests at work. Um, just that sense of loss of pleasure mm-hmm. and um, feeling tired. Maybe either sleeping too much or not enough mm-hmm. uh, can affect our sleep and our appetite. May cause us to worry. Uh, and then th- the one that is very difficult is um, some people end up feeling suicidal. So we may spend some time talking about that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So the World Health Organization has identified mental health as a growing cause of disability worldwide, and predicts that in the future, mental illness, specifically depression, will be at the top of the cause of disability. So Sheila, this is a question for you. What type of mental health treatment do you see going forward? Um, well, there's a couple types of treatment that can be very helpful for depression. One would be um, um, 
you know, therapy, psychotherapy and so on. And the other has to do with medication. And um, oftentimes, like this, there are lots of studies that would would um, indicate that it's the two together that um, work well together. So if people, um, depending, how, depending on how severe the depression is, mm-hmm. if it's mild, then no, not so much, but if it's more uh, deeper type of depression, um, people often need medication just to have enough energy to be able to start to work on the cause of the depression in the first place, right? So it's it can be a vicious circle if people have um, lack of energy, lack of motivation, then it's hard to do anything to get out of it, right? So uh, some people do need medication, and then um, then it can help um, in, in uh, working on the cause of it, like so, let's say mm-hmm. through therapy. So those are two things immediately that I think of, um, but also just a, uh, a sense of um, looking at health overall, like a holistic view of um, ourselves and looking at, uh, we can talk more about that too if you want, is that something maybe, just to mention perhaps briefly right now would be uh, eating well, trying Mm -hmm. to trying to sleep well, getting exercise, actually there's um, really amazing research on this that if people get outside in the daylight, it doesn't have to be sunlight, Mm -hmm. just daylight for 20 minutes or more every day, um, that can do the same thing in many ways that medication will do. So it doesn't mean that it can substitute, certainly for everybody, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a really good additional piece um, to, to make it part of our life. Right. Often as we don't have the energy, it's hard, so we might need a friend to go with us uh, if, uh, to, to kind of get us motivated to do that. Because I was recently told from one of my classmates that they have mood swings depending on the weather. I, I never, I never understood this, but they said, "Oh, I am. I, I think there's a specific term for it." There is sunlight affective disorder. Yeah. It's often just called sad for short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think recently there have been some entrepreneurs that have created products to, like, create the artificial light, the the like the feel of sunlight <laughs> just just to compensate. Yeah, and those are not very expensive. You can right. buy them in, you know. Um, you can buy them quite quite cheaply, right. and some universities have them set up in different places in the university, mm-hmm. so people can actually use the lamp. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, this is a question for you. From a scientific perspective, if you can, is there any concrete evidence that depression occurs purely for medical reasons? Purely for medical reasons, and <clears throat> I guess I'd have to say, from a scientific perspective. Uh, I couldn't give you a scientific perspective <laughs> from uh, uh, from uh, from me, um, but uh, yes, there are. There's lots of um, uh, information about chemical imbalance in the brain mm-hmm. uh, that uh, uh, causes depression, and so uh, so yeah, it's uh, there are things like that. Mm-hmm. And Sheila, do you, do you have any comment? On yeah. It? So sometimes that can be a cause of depression. There's quite a few causes of depression. That's one of them, but uh, sometimes. Um, if there could be another cause, like situational depression, let's mm-hmm. say, and then that that can pull off, you know, the chemicals in the brain. Mm-hmm. So it's like a vicious circle, which causes which. It's hard mm-hmm. to know sometimes. Yeah. But there is um, something else that if per- a person um, does have or suspects they have depression, the first thing to do would be go to go see their medical doctor because mm-hmm. the doctor will do... Um, 
we'll do a blood test normally to check for the thyroid because that is actually one of the causes of depression is a thyroid that's out of whack, so to speak. Mm. Um, and so they will do that. That's mm -hmm. the first thing. There was an article that I read online where just the very first sentence caught me off guard, which is this person, he said for 35 years, they did not know they had clinical depression. How does one, how does one get to that realization that, hey, I'm probably clinically depressed and I have to go seek out medical like help? I think sometimes it's uh, from the people we associate with. Uh, they may be able to see uh, uh, in us uh, something that we don't see in ourselves. Uh, we can certainly live a life of uh, uh, low-key depression, sadness, uh, melancholy, uh, all of that type of thing that seems very, very normal uh, to us, especially if we've grown up in an environment where it's very similar. Uh, but somebody from outside may look in and begin to question our behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we're willing to engage uh, in those questions and honestly look at ourselves, mm -hmm. then we may discover that, hey, what I have lived as normal for the last 30 years mm -hmm. isn't really what really is normal. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some differences that, uh, that I need to make. And maybe there's some changes that can happen. Uh, that uh, are for the good. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that in our culture today, um, a lot a lot of people, um, we're hearing a lot more about mental health issues, right? So mm -hmm. I think um, there's more chance of a person um, catching it earlier nowadays than mm -hmm. maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So I think that's a good thing. Right. Um, and certainly I work at a, at a university and um, we have our student workers, our student leaders taking, um, it's called mental health first aid. Um, and it's a really great training, it's a two day training. And to, to watch the difference between how they're helping the students in their residence halls now compared to, because I've been doing this job, it's my 24th year now, but to see the difference between now and when I first started. Right. Um, they're so much more well-educated. We, we make sure they go through the training and um, they're able to help people and to, to recognize what's going on much quicker now. Right, sure, surely education and like just bringing awareness must have I, a lot of articles when I was researching for this specific podcast was education and awareness is specifically lacking in a lot of organizations, specifically universities, schools. That's why I think, because um, coming from advertising, Bell, Bell Let's Talk, right? That was a huge campaign about mental health illness. It's such an important campaign that they run now. Right. We, we emphasize this every year on campus, and we make it a day, special day. We've got you know different things going on to try to again increase awareness and mm -hmm. decrease stigma right it's a big thing so people are um, not as afraid to go for help mm -hmm. yeah so when we talk about mental illness and is it only something an expert can understand like has mental illness come to the point where uh, prop like normal people would be able to understand what it is yeah i i would say that's uh, probably normal people have a better understanding of what it is <laughs> uh, rather than the expert because the person who is an insider mm. uh, who is actually experiencing it uh, know what what is going on. They may not have the words to put to it, mm. 
and the uh, scientific uh, definitions to say this is what's going on. Uh, but they can, they're certainly experiencing in their very life uh, what it is to be depressed. Mm -hmm. And so they know and, and they can talk about it. Um, I think one of the keys is, is to find someone who you feel safe with so that you can talk about it. And so that language about, uh, about it can be a very uh, simple language that doesn't carry uh, a lot of uh, stigma and baggage with it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we, you know, we live in an age when we like to brand uh, everything. Everything has a brand and um, people uh, get uh, tagged as being certain types. And, uh, you know, your uh, scientific information says that you, know, you look up this and you, you list title and you find out what the symptoms are for that title. And, and suddenly you've, it's a dehumanizing kind of mm -hmm. experience that we're no longer a person suffering, but we're, we're, we're this, we're this particular title, uh, this particular brand of individual. I have this mental illness uh, when really we're, we're suffering. Mm. and we're in pain and uh, we need to be able to use that language and if we find somebody that we can use that language with and can talk with them about it uh, I think you would get a lot of good uh, sharing going on mm -hmm. and and help that comes out of that where people realize I'm not I'm not unique you know I, I have these feelings I have this uh, situation going on within me I'm not uh, outside of the human race. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, sometimes we say nobody understands me. Nobody could possibly know what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. On one level, that may be true. But uh, if we're sitting with people who are, have a common uh, denominator of suffering, and if that suffering happens to be manifested in depression, then uh, you find out that there's a lot of us that are just like each other mm -hmm. and we can understand what's going on and we can gain a lot of encouragement uh, through that especially when we see how people work through and kind of defeat the foe of depression when it comes mm -hmm. and uh, can struggle with that and work through that and overcome that and then you can be encouraged so much by knowing that yeah there is hope here uh, I, it's not a dead-end street for me uh, my solutions that I've come up with uh, maybe have been very short-sighted. Maybe there's something else out there that can really, really help. God wants his children to be healthy in every area of their life, emotionally, spiritually, physically. How can a Christian or how can somebody else, anybody, how can they safeguard their mental health? Well, I, uh, Sheila, you go ahead and talk <laughs> about some of that and I can mm. fill in. Hmm. Well, yes, I think the idea of thinking holistically is a, is a good one. Um, it's not easy, but I think it's needed. So in terms of we look at health in different the different aspects, so actually, maybe I'll comment on this first. There's a, a trend now to use the word uh, mental health more so than mental illness because the, the illness framework you know, sounds so negative, and and if, and uh, so so there's this this tendency now to talk about mental health, and you hear a lot about wellness centers mm -hmm. and this kind of thing. So, um, the idea of um, 
looking at relational wellness, um, our physical wellness, our emotional and mental wellness. Um, if students, if they're people who are students, it's academic health and, mm -hmm. and all these things. So um, it's easy to let one of these things slip by. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I'm working with students, uh, you know, we'll often talk about their sleep patterns and they might be uh, very, very common, you know, for them to be going to bed at four and five in the morning mm -hmm. and maybe they have an early class and, and they're drinking um, lots of caffeine to keep them through or they might be, um, they might be using substances and all mm -hmm. these things and all those things um, will challenge the body. The body will complain in a sense if there's things going on that it doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And so it's listening to, um, listening to what the body needs and trying to meet the way God's made us because God's made us to need sleep, to need mm -hmm. certain kind of food and, and that kind of thing. So how can we, that's kind of like a support, supporting us um, in mental, to have good mental health and it's kind of helpful to have uh, those other things mm -hmm. in, in, in line as well. So that, that would be one thing I can think of. What do you want to add to that? Mm. Repeat your question. How can one safeguard their mental health? I think that I would think of it in terms of how can we contribute to uh, uh, good uh, or better mental health? How can we contribute to that? And what are the things that we can do that enhances that? And uh, where do we focus our attention? Uh, what are the things that we immerse our mind mm -hmm. and thoughts in? Um, uh, knowing that um, uh, you know there's a lot of th things out there that can catch our attention and a lot of it can be very uh, negative and very destructive so we have to ask us some honest questions and say is, what is this contributing to my involvement in this what is that contributing to uh, is I do this for recreation what is that contributing to uh, I do this as a uh, as a pastime. I do this uh, as part of my job. What is what is this contributing to? And uh, and asking ourselves that, and uh, and coming up with some uh, a reasonable answers to those questions, honest answers, mm -hmm. that says, okay, uh, if I spend you know eight hours a day uh, dealing with very very difficult situations in my career. And then I come out of that at the end of the day and I volunteer at another drop-in center where there's a lot of crisis activities going on after work. And after I come from work, I sit down and I read materials dealing with uh, trauma and recovery and all of that type of thing. And I do that as a matter of habit. And then I find out, you know what? Uh, I'm kind of losing my sense of enthusiasm for living. Mm. Uh, I kind of don't see the bright side of things uh, like I used to. Mm. Where's that coming from? Well, ask yourself the question, what are you doing with your time? Where are you uh, absorbing yourself? Uh, it will have an impact on you. So we have to ask ourselves those questions. Mm. How can we safeguard that? I think the other thing, one of the other things is to realize that our opinions or our thoughts are simply that opinions and thoughts. Mm -hmm. They're not truth and fact, not usually, although they can be. So when we tell ourselves certain things like, I am worthless, that is our opinion. 
we need to ask ourselves, is that true? Mm -hmm. Is that fact? Is that real? It's not. It's my opinion. What contributes to that opinion? What are the things that support that opinion? What are the things that don't support that opinion? Uh, is there another way of looking at myself? So challenging the things that we tell ourselves uh, is important to you. Mm -hmm. Realizing that, you know what, just because I call myself that doesn't mean that's true. Right. And that is something that I've come, come to uh, conclude, but maybe my conclusion is wrong. Right. So we need to ask ourselves those type of questions and uh, come up with alternative uh, answers to uh, things that tend to put us down and tend mm. to uh, remove the worth uh, from our living. We need to do that type of thing. So I think there's a lot of things that we can do, habits that we can develop that uh, are very, very positive and good and nurturing. You know, you, you mentioned about God wanting his people to be healthy. Uh, you know, reading scriptures, meditating on God's love, uh, realizing that uh, uh, the Bible talks a lot about uh, God's undying love for us. Mm -hmm. uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, you know, we have this ultimate value. But when depression kicks in, it tries to take that ultimate value away and it tries to uh, uh, make us blind to uh, the realities that we used to know uh, or that are are trying to get through to us saying that you know what you know you are worthwhile you know so you so you got fired well you know uh, lots of people get fired mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. Uh, you know, your marriage has, uh, has failed and you live with this shame. And um, you can take that and, and say that my whole life now is a shameful life. Mm. Or you can say, you know, this is why these things occurred and uh, I'm going to continue on. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I am not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not junk, mm. you know, that, uh, that type of thing. So I think there's lots of things that contribute to uh, safeguarding our mental health. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of things can, that can erode it. Mm. And, uh, but I think we need to, if we have healthy questions that ask, why do we do what we do? Uh, then that is very, very informative for us mm -hmm. Sorry. yeah I just wondered we want to add one thing there to what mm -hmm. you're saying is um, when we when we go through loss you know we could have lost a loved one um, that one's I think an obvious type of loss that's a very difficult one but some other types of loss you've alluded to it as well like a loss of a relationship or the loss of a job, or the loss of a dream, mm. or whatever the type of loss, it's almost as if God's created a mechanism within us um, to to deal with that. So we have to go through the loss, and mm. part of that can be um, when you think of the stages of grief. You know, um, one of the stages is sadness, right. and uh, another stage is is anger. Another stage is. Um, 
well, first of all, the numbness and all that kind of thing that you can experience at the beginning of a loss, um, and needing just to work through it uh, to come out to the other end, which is acceptance, you know, right. kind of thing. So I think um, depression sometimes has a role to play. It can help us right. uh, to move through um, what's happened, you know, because we're human and we're mm-hmm. very much affected by the humanness of everyone around us. Mm-hmm. So as long as we're on this earth, we're going to have to deal with loss, mm-hmm. and I, I think. So that's a bit of a, perhaps a normal piece that we have to work through. Right. Because so. it's interesting that you say that, and the, I think for many different people, that stage of the, the grief, it's different for everyone. Because I remember when I came to Toronto, one of my one of my family members passed away, and I did not know how to react, really. And I don't know still at what stage I'm in, like acceptance or what. But, but from what I t- uh, took from what both of your answers was, there needs to be a very high level of self-reflection and awareness. Right when you were talking about your body and how you treat your body, and ex- especially that time to be able to self-reflect and ask yourself those questions. But he, my question is, let's say we're talking about people in their twenties and thirties when their own lifestyle is so busy. Social media is another another topic where, when you mentioned opinions, people take them on the chin. When when a small remark is given on social media, they take it so they they it weighs them down. What would be your own, like, how would a normal university student, a normal kid in their teens, how would you, like, tell them to safeguard their own mental health? I guess often when I'm working with that age group, and I do a lot because of the work I'm in, we'll start with where they are, right? you know, and try to hear what are the challenges they're going through, because usually they'll come for, in my work at least, they come for something, there's something bothering them. Mm And I think one of the most important things is to have someone to talk to. Like that is huge. Not social media, so like right. in the like this kind of thing that you're mentioning, but having somebody. At, I think you alluded to it as well. Someone that you can trust. That it it could be, it could be a therapist. It could be a pastor. It could be a youth leader, or, um, um, you know, or, uh, it could be anybody that you mm-hmm. trust, right? Um, just to be able to talk it over and when people do have that kind of support from somebody that they that really cares um, then they're able to move ahead they're able to um, explore they're able to um, talk about things that maybe they feel shame about mm-hmm. or or things that they really are afraid of or afraid about um, I think that's one of the things that um, uh, we've been looking at this in, in university where I work to make sure that everybody, when they come in, can get connected to somebody. Right. So um, it's, that's going to increase their likelihood of um, success as a student. It's nothing to do with their IQ. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to do with um, feeling accepted, um, feeling um, valued and understood. That's, mm-hmm. that's, to me, is huge. Right. Yeah. I think if we find someone that we can talk to, uh, <coughs> that allows the dialogue to occur uh, that says, uh, what does this mean to you? So the the young teen who is receiving this thing on their phone, Mm -hmm. and it's it's a devastating thing, they need to be able to talk about why that is devastating and why that carries so much power uh, in their life. And is the power that they give it uh, really uh, the power that it has uh, to control them. Uh, 
and is there a way for them to take their power back mm -hmm. and to be able to live beyond the tweets and things that happen mm -hmm. uh, you know a hundred times a day for them um, if you have connections that are solid uh, you know the connections of all the other things that are on the media uh, on your phone and all of that um, can lose some of its power uh, if you have a real living person that you're connected to mm -hmm. and can sit down and, and say this is what this is what they said about me or this is what they think or this is what you know now the whole world thinks that of, of mm -hmm. me and uh, that's a catastrophizing often and if you have someone yeah. solid that you can talk to you can work that through and you can begin to you know uh, begin to pull this you know it's a straw dog uh, you begin to remove the straws so that you see it for what it is mm. uh, otherwise uh, the straw dog casts a big shadow and you think it's a terrible thing mm. uh, but with it being connected to real people I think is a real advantage, mm -hmm. I think, anyway. Mm -hmm. Spirituality and religion, can it be helpful during this period of mental health? If yes, how? I would say yes, and, uh, and I would say, and no. Mm -hmm. I, would say, I would say both. Uh, I know of situations where uh, very religious spouses with, with zeal uh, condemn their spouse for taking medications because they should not because they are you know they should be above that and uh, which is not right mm -hmm. that's not that's not true um, can your spirituality be a good thing one of the things that I found uh, when I was going through some very uh, heavy depression was knowing for certain even though I didn't know anything else for certain the one thing I did know was that Christ was present. Mm -hmm. and that's the one thing I knew. And that's the one thing that I can hold on to. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, that was a lifesaver. And uh, it's really uh, so that you use your spirituality then for something good, mm -hmm. uh, not something to condemn. Uh, you know, if, if I viewed that Christ has turned his back on me because I'm depressed, you know, that would be pretty wild, and that would be pretty devastating, and that would be pretty despairing. Um, but I don't believe that's the truth of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so it's really getting connected to what's really real and holding on to that. Uh, that, is, uh, that is important. Mm -hmm. So when uh, we understand that uh, uh, God can do a work within us to change us from the inside out, uh, that's an important thing to hang on to. That gives mm -hmm. hope. That's, that's an important aspect. God is understanding. There's nothing about us that God does not know or understand or cannot uh, empathize with. That's pretty important. Mm -hmm. We're not on the outside looking in now. We're on the inside. We're under the arms, under the wings of God, on the inside, being comforted by someone who understands us. Now, that's much different than being on the outside and feeling as if you're condemned and as if you're somehow your depression is a sin mm. separating us from from uh, the will of God mm. 
Right. So, you know, but but often our again we develop our own personal uh, belief systems that can be destructive, mm. and even though we've maybe have been in the Christian church for years and years and years, we still haven't uh, experienced uh, one of the basic themes of Scripture, which is God's grace. And there's nobody, nobody that can uh, look at the grace of God and come away feeling condemned. Mm. Uh, and when, Christ, when God looks at us in our vulnerability of depression, which is uh, such a vulnerable place to be, um, then we need to know the truth about how he reacts to us. Mm. And in our vulnerability, uh, uh, he doesn't come in like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> yeah, he comes in like the mother hen. Gather up the chicks, gather up the chicks, put right. them under the wings, settle down, just get warm up a little here. Just get warm up, you feel better. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to understand about the way God does treat us, mm -hmm. you know, especially when we're vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, um, a lot about uh, Jesus and his suffering, and I found that uh, something you said made me think of this, that um, in, in Jesus' suffering, and at least in my understanding of that, none of us will ever suffer to the extent that he did because he was suffering for the sins of the whole world type mm -hmm. thing and so in that we can really uh, know that Jesus gets what we're going through I think one of my favorite passages of scripture is Philippians 2 when it talks about Jesus giving up uh, his place um, and coming to earth and um, and yes 100% God 100% human and in, in, without sin um, and uh, what he went through so we have this, the suffering savior kind of thing, which um, we'll, we can understand uh, so we can go to him knowing that. Mm -hmm. We can feel uh, safe in that sense. So I, I do find that um, I work with both um, people who are uh, Christian people and those that aren't. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing I notice is that for a lot of people who, who do know Jesus in a personal way, and that can help tremendously. Um, in their uh, healing and in their movement toward health. Mm -hmm. There's something that we have that um, can help us in these times. Right. Yeah. Well, how much does genetics play into men your mental health? Um, you know, um, there's always that debate in nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. You know, how much how much is about genetics and how much is about the environment and our situation and that kind of thing. And uh, it depends on the type of mental illness or the mental uh, the challenge. That right. So some there are some types that are um, more known to be um, genetically connected, and there are others that are not so much. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, so it depends on what it is. But what we know is that this is worldwide and across every culture, um, so that much, mm -hmm. that much we know. Mm -hmm. right. What is the church's responsibility in terms of dealing with mental health 
And do you think, do you think as of right now, churches are equipped enough to um, deal with the, the, the struggle? I'm on a committee, it's called the Working Group for the Promotion of Mental Health in Faith Communities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've been working, oh gosh, for a few years now, mm-hmm. and we're offering, we offer seminars, we offer help for churches, and we're not the only um, group that's doing this. There's a lot of interest now in the last mm-hmm. few years on uh, mental health, especially in Ontario, mm-hmm. I notice. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are really taking off. Things are really improving. There's a lot of churches now offering support groups and all kinds of things. Or even even if they don't have something formal, um, you know, we'll often have people, the church will send them people right. from their church to these seminars so that they can find out more, learn more, and they go back to their churches and they start to um, help with the stigma and mm-hmm. start to... Um, um, help the people in the congregation to, to listen and to to be um, to be that listening ear as needed. So I think a lot more things are happening now than before. I'm quite excited about the changes that I'm seeing, mm. but there's so much more to do. Right. Do you have any other thoughts on it? I guess part of it is um, <clears throat> is churches as they present uh, from the pulpit and within the uh, community life of the church, the more accepting and caring and um, vulnerable that they become, I think then you, you set a good uh, atmosphere uh, for people to say, you know what, uh, I'm very, very sad today. In fact, I'm so sad that I don't know what, you know, what to do next. Uh, whereas a few years back, uh, it seemed as if, if you went to church, uh, you had to be happy all the time. Mm. You had to be positive all the time. Uh, you had to uh, always be saying that, uh, uh, you know, that you have victory over everything. And there wasn't much room for uh, for, for the struggle. Uh, so that has changed. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we make room for the struggle, the more we're going to be able to meet the needs of people who are there. Um, but, you know, churches aren't um, places that, uh, uh, you know, uh, that only do psychotherapy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. or do any psychotherapy. Uh, you know, what you, you can do, you can prevent a, a loving, accepting environment, and that's really, really important. And you can offer advice uh, to with, within your limits. That's really important. But you also need to know when to refer and so that people get the proper help that they need, help that meets the intensity of the suffering that they're in. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Uh, you know, churches aren't in that way equipped, you know, well enough to do that. Uh, but then, uh, but then, who is? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if you know that you uh, that you're beyond your depth and can refer, that uh, is pretty important. And um, yeah. So. Right. Actually, I want to go back to one question. I think you mentioned it earlier in some part of your answer. I just want to get both of your own thoughts on it. 
Is depression a sin? No, it is not. It is not a sin. I mean, when you think of it, um, really what depression is, is a robber. Uh, that's the that's I think the best identity you can give to depression it's a thief so it steals joy it steals life it steals creativity it steals peace uh, it steals everything possible that it can steal mm -hmm. and uh, if you happen to be a depressed person or have depression then uh, you know you are being robbed and you are <laughs> so uh, I, I don't believe that uh, depression is a sin can we do anything to help uh, get through the depression and uh, get beyond it are there choices that we can make are there some is there some responsibilities that we have yes yes there are and uh, but that's that's another layer right. of, um, of of what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, did you want to say more? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you there too. Um, another related question: It's turning it around the other way. Can uh, can sin cause depression? Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that, um, uh, for example, let's say there's a a, a spouse who is cheating on you know, cheating on their partner, um, and uh, they're lying about it, and all this kind of stuff, and, you know, a lot going on there, and let's say that they're a person of faith, and they have a sense inside that, you know, that niggly, or more than niggly sense of, uh, you know, this isn't the right thing, I shouldn't be doing this, they keep doing it, they know it, they keep doing it, and so on, mm -hmm. and kind of get into this thing, so, uh, now, that, I don't know, that may not be the best example, but that mm -hmm. idea that purposely they're they're going that way when they could turn and go this way, they could right. turn and, you know, apologize and try to mend what was going on. So um, I have worked with people who have had that scenario going on. Yeah, so I think some there are a few times or a few cases where that it can actually cause some depression. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. The other thing, too, you mentioned um, it being a, a robber. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, too, there's one other analogy. It's, it's a very different kind of um, analogy, and some people might uh, relate to mm -hmm. one analogy. Some people mm -hmm. might relate to this other type of analogy. So there's uh, a different way to look at it, and both are fine. Just mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. choose the one that works for you kind of thing. But um, sometimes when I work with people, we look at how do we make friends with the depression or whatever it is they have going on. So it's a different, it's a bit of a different approach. And um, so the, the idea being that it, there's a reason why it's there, mm. right? There's a reason why it's there. And can we understand what it's about? What's it trying to tell us? It's sort of like knocking on the door saying, uh, this little voice saying, listen to me, I have something mm -hmm. to tell you. And we keep the door shut and we won't open, we won't listen. And sometimes the less we listen, the louder, you know, this thing has to act in order to try to get our attention to the point that it can, using that analogy, it can cripple us or debilitate us. Uh, when it gets to that point. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes we can do something about it when we're talking about chemical depression or that type of thing. I mean, there are things we can do with that too, but 
it depends on the cause and so on. But it's learning, trying to understand, like if it's a loss that we're refusing to face, mm -hmm. then that's not going to help us. So perhaps we need we need to, in that sense, be a f learn how to be f be friends with this, and say, okay, what are you trying to tell me? And then mm -hmm. go with it. Yeah. And if it if it is, for example, sinful actions, or if it's a lifestyle, or if it's loss, whatever it happens to be, dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 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 that term, what would you how would you give um word of advice to people whose lines of work not almost require but it's almost a not a stigma also they they suppress their depression. They cannot they do not they're not allowed to show that type of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Let's say in a, in people who are in public service. That, well, the first thing I would think of is like a policeman. Mm -hmm. Like when they have to suppress that depression they cannot show their vulnerability what would you tell the like even i'm thinking now of a soldier like people who suffer from ptsd like there's there's often times when these people they commit to worse actions when they they just can't find a way to seek help or what what would be your advice yeah. there's more and more um attention being paid to this mm -hmm. um that it could be um it can be um, ambulance drivers, it can be police, it can be people on the front mm -hmm. lines. First responders. Yeah, any people, people working with trauma, and more and more research mm -hmm. is being done, and it's understood that people who work with trauma mm -hmm. need trauma debriefing. Should happen within 72 hours. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the quicker that debriefing can happen after the events happen, the more likelihood that it won't imprint you know, on the person's brain or whatever. Mm. So it's, um, I think, sure, they can't kind of talk about it to their, whoever they're helping. I mean, right. that's that's not right. But it has to be behind the scenes. Um, organizations have to be putting in place um, the behind the scenes help, you know, mm -hmm. that these people need in order to do their job. Mm -hmm. But more and more that's being recognized. I have a colleague who, that's what he does. Right. That's his whole job. I mean, he, the, the, they just had a fire, and uh, the, the, the people that have attended to the fire, you know, uh, they come, and right. they, they're, he is so good at his job that they're all in tears before they're done, and there's right. just that release, um, which is so healing. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I think it's a lot to do with um, having the right, um, the right context, the right people at the right time uh, when people are working in these kind of jobs, really important. And if you're part of a, a, <coughs> a culture that uh, doesn't permit that, right. you know, you may be, mm -hmm. uh, that's hard mm -hmm. because uh, you're, you're not only dealing with your own stuff, uh, but you're dealing with the pressure of the culture that you're working in uh, that prevents you from uh, being human and uh, acknowledging what's, what's going on. So uh, in that case, you, you wouldn't uh, get what you need from the culture. Mm -hmm. You'll have to go outside the culture. Mm -hmm. And so then the uh, police officer, if, that's, if that happens to be the culture in the unit that he's in or she's in, um, you know, if they can't offer the help, then that person needs to go outside mm -hmm. and, and actually get the help. It's important that you get the help. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and there's so many helping agencies out there that uh, help is available. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to, to say, 
I can't, we can't deal with it because my, you know, we're not allowed to let our defenses down, let people know uh, on the work line what it's like. Well, that may be the case, mm-hmm. but you may ha- you would have to then go somewhere and, and have the help that you actually need. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there's, we all, we all know that suicide uh, amongst uh, police and military and all of that is, is um, common because uh, they are not able to deal with the stuff that they see. Uh, so you have to go outside your culture. A lot of workplaces have, um, <coughs> have EAPs or employee assistance programs. Um, many um, have you know, benefits and so on, mm-hmm. which will cover um, you know, various types of help. Yeah. Right. Well, when it, when it comes to, cause I, I can, I can sense from both of your answers. The big thing is know when to ask for help and go do it. But oftentimes some, some of the most mundane of tasks can be very hard to motivate yourself. Like even, even for when, when you're in that phase of melancholy and you're sad and you're down, what are those small things? Like, I'm looking for I'm looking for small like tips. What what can you do to start that process of healing yourself? Mm-hmm. Even from a Christian perspective, I know I know prayer, scripture, mm-hmm. like you can even share some of the things you guys would do. Yeah, you know sometimes it's it's knowing you ask yourself the question what what did I used to enjoy? Mm. I don't enjoy it now because I'm depressed, right? So, but you can ask the question what did I used to enjoy two years ago. Oh, I used to enjoy going for a walk. Uh, How am I going to go for a walk? You know, how are you going to pry me off the couch to go go for a walk? Mm -hmm. Get me out the door to do that. That's where somebody can be very helpful. And so that uh, somebody from a congregation you go to, if you happen to be going to a church, or a friend comes and knocks on the door and says, let's go for a walk. Mm -hmm. Let's go do that. Um, It might be going out for a hamburger. It might be going out to a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing about depression is it really kills your motivation. Mm-hmm. So the chances of you motivating yourself to get out and do it is a real sign of strength. And if you're able to do that, now is the time to do it. Because uh, you might get to the point where you're too unmotivated mm. to even consider it as a possibility. So uh, if you can do those things that are self-soothing, uh, now, uh, you're, you're feeling as if you're a bit down, but you know what? Uh, you know, maybe you like to sit in the bathtub for 40 minutes with, you know, candles and music and all of that. And you enjoy that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cup of coffee, sit there. Okay, so then what am I going to do tonight? I don't feel like doing anything. I'm not going to do anything tonight. Oh, well, maybe I'll run the bathtub, get some bubble bath in there, get the candles out, get Mm -hmm. the cup of coffee out, sit there, you know, until my body turns into prunes and and do that. So now you've had 40 minutes of relaxed, non-depressed time. And that's 40 minutes you didn't have earlier that day. Mm. So those are the, those things, but it all, requires you knowing what what would be good for you to do. Mm. So make those lists now, because when you're depressed, you're not gonna have a clue. 
there's somebody says, what do you want to do? You say nothing, mm. right? And that's exactly what you should say if you're depressed, right? Oh, let's go out and, uh, you know, go snowmobiling. I really want to do that. Right. Well, I guess maybe you're not depressed, <laughs> you know, today, yeah. right? So is that the kind of thing that you're, yeah. uh, that you're thinking of? Uh, maybe another thing I'm thinking of is um, worship and... Um, uh -huh. Uh, worship music has helped so many people um, because what uh, it can do is change our brain in a sense it can it can help us regulate emotion it mm -hmm. can help us to even as you said for a short period of time to feel a little bit better um, we get our attention on something else and and it, it can change the trajectory at least for a short period of time and we can mm -hmm. feel yeah. We can uh, we can learn how to regulate our emotion right. when we think we we're prisoner to these the d the dark cloud above us you know um, then we realize oh wait a minute I do have I do I can do something right. I can what you were saying mm -hmm. all those things we can realize that there are things that I can do that can help mm -hmm. at least in the short term. Mm -hmm. uh, I also uh, with that it would be uh, you know to have uh, somebody that. We, I don't really like the word accountability, but it's, but it's a good word. Uh, you know, that you're connected to uh, that uh, can help you right. do that. If you're isolated, uh, you know, you spend all your time, uh, you know, looking at electronic stuff. You've got no real people in your life, mm -hmm. uh, not even a, a pet. Right. You know, uh, first thing, go and buy a dog. They'll, they'll keep you or going. A cat or, or a cat or something. Yeah. You know, you know, cat, yeah. uh, oh, that's good. But, you know, if you have none of that, then you're really vulnerable. Right. And you're really alone in a lot of ways. You're almost spelling out how, <laughs> how I live. <laughs> you painted exactly the picture I of what I'm living. I have nobody in my no. I have Astro living next well, yeah. <laughs> next to me. Yeah, right. But you're very vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. And you know when you feel down, you feel down, and it's just you. Yeah. And uh, so in order to be kind of ahead of the game, mm -hmm. uh, then you have to do that. You were talking about modalities before, and I wanted to mention this one that I was part of, which was very very neat. And uh, I was part of a study on uh, something called transcranial magnetic stimulation. And uh, it's relatively new, uh, but it's a painless procedure where they use uh, magnetic waves to focus in on areas of the brain that are affected by different things. Mm -hmm. And so one being depression, there's a part of the brain that really, you know, really gets hit hard with depression and the magnetic stimulation is just that with magnetic waves it begins to wake up those uh, uh, cells that have become dormant mm. and uh, they have isolated different parts of the brain for different things but uh, this is the one that uh, applied to me so uh, it's totally painless side effects are feeling better which I thought was a good side effect and uh, and so that's something that's that is available, and it's relatively new. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I was part of a study, mm -hmm. so it was all free for me to go. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that it's a very I can certainly say that, that was a very very good a good thing. So you you know it's 
you say, well, there's medication and there's talk therapy and there's this and this, but people are coming up with different things and this right. uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation is one of mm-hmm. the newer you know, things that are, is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Another is um, cognitive behavioral you know, therapy groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it's not a therapy group, there are other types of groups, especially if people don't have a lot of connections and they can go to a group and uh, be with people who are, are dealing with something similar. Right. So there are people who love a group context. Um, and cognitive, be- mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral uh, therapy, one, one thing that does is that it gives you a structure to ask those questions of, uh, uh, you know, what am I thinking about this particular situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how does that relate to me? Uh, are my thoughts about this accurate? Or are they just thoughts? What are some alternative thoughts that I could have in light of, of my experience here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gives you a, a very, very good way of tracking and asking, specifically asking those questions, and uh, and they can be extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Do you still think there, with all the research you were talking about, and you know, do you still think there's a taboo for like the misunderstanding about mental health? Why do you think? If if the answer is yes, why? Well, it's interesting because probably a lot of reasons, but one might be that. Well, two I can think of. One is fear, mm-hmm. and the the other is things we can't see. Like we often, I'll often talk to people when I'm working with people with depression, and so I'll uh, maybe they don't want to take medication or all this stuff, and I'll say, well, if you were diabetic, would you take insulin? And or if you broke your leg, would you get a cast put on it? Mm-hmm. Or if you had trouble seeing, would you would you wear glasses or contacts? And Yes, to all of those people would almost. Right. And I've never heard someone say no yet. Right. Um, but uh, would you get help for depression? Um, that's a little harder for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but it's something you can't see in the same way that you can. You can, uh, you know, the physical um, issues that we have are a little bit different, a little right. bit easier to to see. You somehow seem to be more accepted or more okay. But the other thing is fear. Um, I think people have a lot of fear about the things they can't see, mm-hmm. and if something they that they think is going on inside of them, um, they're not really sure. You know, there, there's a, there's fear around what to do about that mm-hmm. and what's going to happen to me and all that. And also, I think other people have fear toward people. Let's say um, someone has more severe schizophrenia or something like that, um, then they act in in ways that are. Um, we're not sure exactly how they might do what they might do next, mm-hmm. right? So people get fearful of that. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what it is. They don't know what to do. They don't, you know, and so I think when there there's fear present, that makes things more challenging as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <coughs> I think that um, if the person who is suffering from the depression can uh, deal with their own stigma about that, that that is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may not be able to, you know, deal with other people's opinion uh, about it, uh, or acceptance, or comfort level uh, about it, but uh, we need to look at ourselves, and uh, Sheila, you had mentioned, 
the idea of becoming friends with the with the depression, and I think that that has an important element to it. In this regard, we need we need to know that uh, this is part of what's going on for us, and if we can accept it mm. as part of what's going on for us, and not uh, get so distressed because it's there that uh, it drives us you know beyond reason uh, then that's an important thing if we can feel more comfortable with it not that we like it who likes suffering and depression has a lot of suffering to it uh, it's not that we like it but uh, we can come to terms with it and say yeah uh, this is part of what goes on for me uh, and you no longer have to dread it. But part of that is to be able to disarm, uh, to disarm the dragon mm. and um, to be able to know that you can overcome mm -hmm. and that you do not have to uh, shrivel up and hide away because of this. Uh, you can actually... Uh, overcome this mm -hmm. and uh, and live a very productive life and uh, and you can do that mm -hmm. and I, I guess if there's anything I would want people to understand is that um, you do have that hope and you can overcome mm -hmm. and uh, depression is not a dead end street right uh, that's important even though when you're in it, you feel like it, Even but it's not true. It it's not true. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And some episodes, the average length of an episode would be eight, nine months. Right. And that feels like a very long time, especially if it's it's clinical. It's more, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, more a bit more you know deep type of depression. Um, and pe people may go through that only once in their lifetime, mm -hmm. but there's uh, other people uh, could have that reoccurring. So. Um, once people have kind of, if I could use the word conquered it the first time, if mm -hmm. they go through it, knowing that, hey, you know, they can get through it the next time if it does happen, and if they have another episode. Um, mm -hmm. But as we learn more how our body works um, and how to more overcome it, you know, as you said, we can learn next time a little, you know, mm -hmm. some things we could do differently um, if we go through it another episode or more. Right. From a theological perspective, do you think faith and prayer is a, could be enough to pray away mental illness or depression? I, you know, I th that's, such a, that's such a good question uh, because uh, there's so many unknowns, right? Uh, what is causing the, um, uh, the hiccup in the mental health? Mm -hmm. What's causing the depression? What, what is that? Where is the source? What, what is that coming from? Of prayer and faith, amazing, uh, active uh, parts of our, of our belief system. Uh, yes, it can do many, many things. Um, if I had a broken leg mm. and I prayed over my leg to be set back into a straight line, uh, do you think that would happen? Um, I would say, well, but probably not. Mm. You know, 
so if a depression is caused by uh, chemical imbalance, will praying and faith restore that balance? Or do I need a little bit of help? Medication to give me a platform upon which to stand so that I can deal with the stuff that's around me. Okay, So uh, it's a good question, but there's so many unknowns uh, to it. Uh, if the source of my depression is uh, a, a boss that is totally unreasonable and very, very uh, hard to live with, and I pray for a new job, and I get a new job, uh, then my depression may lift because I no longer have, you know, this thorn in the flesh that's uh, there. And uh, so then, has my prayers helped my depression? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, as, as someone who is theological, I would say that uh, we don't want to underestimate the power of prayer and faith. We don't want to underestimate that at all. But we also know that God is the source of all truth. And uh, truth yeah, in the medical field uh, has some very, very amazing discoveries on, uh, on things that can help us. So uh, that's not outside of the realm of theology. I think that's very much within, within the realm uh, of God's truth. All truth is God's truth. Yeah. Maybe going along with that, I like the analogy or the story about you know, someone's drowning and they pray for God to help. And uh, the boat comes along mm -hmm. to rescue them, and and you know they refuse to to let them help because they had a different idea of what God was going to send to help them. You know, so God can um, God can help. Like in a sense, we can be uh, Jesus' hands and feet right. when He's not here. Uh, you know, physically at the moment. And so in our praying, you know, God will. I think God will often send people our way, and it, it's for us to see to have eyes to see. Um, the way um, God might be moving right. and not just to turn our back on the help that God's bringing in whatever form that might take mm -hmm. to be discerning of course right. you know mm -hmm. but uh, I think I think God uses other people maybe God uses uh, books there's some books uh, mm -hmm. um, there's there's lots of um, it could be a chat uh, online chat thing right. that could help it could be any number of things right. that God might into someone's awareness right and I, I, I guess you uh, one thing when I when I leave this podcast the first thing I'm gonna search on Google is how much dog costs or where I can adopt a dog <laughs> so I guess actually one of my last questions was do pets help with depression <laughs> which I think you have already answered I, I think there's uh, clinical evidence that shows <laughs> that uh, pets uh, can reduce blood pressure right and uh, and anxiety mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, you know, from my own personal experience, I would say that uh, absolutely uh, a. Um, um, you have a pet of your own. Yeah, I have a, um, a Portuguese water dog who oh, wow. who and she is totally crazy, and uh, uh, she will not let me alone. So if 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 I don't want to go out for a walk, she doesn't curl up and lay down. She looks at me and yaps until I get up 
and take her out. Mm -hmm. uh, when I come home, no matter if I'm gone for two minutes or two hours, uh, she's delighted to see me. I mean, just totally delighted. So I get all kinds of doggy hugs and kisses for no good reason, right? right. She thinks I'm amazing. And so pets do that. They're, they're like that. Mm -hmm. And um, plus they're very understanding. And uh, if you're a pet person or if you become a pet person, you'll see that uh, they have a uncanny sense of, uh, of knowing what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they are very, uh, a very good gift. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Just going, going off, the, the, some of the, the darker sides of depression is suicide. And I wondered whether both of you, either from personal experience or just knowledge about it, could elaborate more and talk more about it's because it's a very it's it's a topic not many people want to talk about because it is such a serious topic. But then qu quite some number of people deal with that topic behind the curtains or in this in silence. So could you would both of you be able to share your thoughts about it? So it's, it's one of the. Um you know, of the list of um, symptoms that people can have as part of depression, um, that's one um, of quite a number. Um, not everybody who is depressed will have suicidal thinking, um, but almost pretty much, it's almost 100%, almost, not quite, of suicidal people have depression, right? So, right, so it goes one way, but not everyone, not everyone will have. Um, suicidal thinking, but um, that in itself, that's a whole other topic, right? We could mm -hmm. even spend a lot of time on that. But if people do um, have that as one of the symptoms, again, knowing there's there's help for that. And it, right. um, I think of it as a triangle. If you think of a triangle on its base, right? Um, if it's landed, if it's on its base, that's where we feel more solid, more stable, right? right. But when we go through crisis and if suicidal thinking is part of that, it can imagine the triangle on its point now. Okay. okay? So the, the triangle has two choices. It can fall to the left or it can fall to the right. Mm -hmm. So what we want to help people do if they do have some of those symptoms is to realize we can, they can choose life. Right, um, and there's help for that to happen. They don't have to to give in to those, the feelings or thoughts. And um, so there are. Um, just to mention, um, probably a lot of the listeners may know this already, but if not, there are uh, suicide crisis helplines out there that are 24/7. Like there's always someone to talk to, um, because you know we can we can talk to a friend or whatever, but we may not want to bother th bother them in the middle of the night. Right. And so uh, there are these crisis helplines that are there for that reason. Um, so anybody that's afraid of bothering, you know, a lot of times when people are going through a rough time, they they feel like they're they're they feel like they're needy or they're they're going to be too much for somebody. Right. But this is these people are trained for this. That's mm -hmm. what they do. Yeah. So I just encourage people to uh, call one of those uh, lines if right. they need to, not to hesitate. On on that topic, there. I don't know whether there's a stigma for it or not. The level of wanting to ask for help, realizing that you need help, but then also thinking about it that you're a weaker person, that there's shame attached to it. Like, 
if I'm going to call somebody, no, I can deal with it by myself. And I think this goes along also with the idea of uh, nature versus nurture. Whether I was brought up to deal with these things in by myself, handle it, be a man, and do it. Whereas, oh, saying that I have mental illness or I have s I have depression, that I might be seen as a weaker man. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, just one thing about the crisis helpline. The good thing is, mm -hmm. you don't know them; they don't know you. Right. So the good, I mean, the, uh, some people have a hard time to go to someone they know for that reason. But uh, talking to someone from a, a crisis helpline, mm -hmm. you won't meet them. You right. you won't know them, and so that can be help a little bit until a person feels a little bit more okay to talk to someone else that maybe they do know. Mm -hmm. But maybe you have other ideas. I think some of it has to do with questioning our assessments of ourself mm -hmm. and so that when we, we've grown up in an environment we've learned a lot of things mm -hmm. uh, learned how not to do a lot of things and not to say a lot of things admit to a lot of things tough it out right. pull up your socks you know just keep going no matter what uh, type of thing so we have to be able to question some of that mm -hmm. and say okay um, you know I'm a lesser person because I'm seeking help is that really true I'm weaker. What is your view of weakness as a male? Is it okay for a woman to be going for help? Mm. Or is it just not okay for a man to go for help? And whose idea of weakness mm. are we talking about? Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of talking, a, a lot of question and answering that can occur um, if you're able to, to do that and challenge those things little helpful hints that you were asking before mm -hmm. uh, you know about uh, how to help not to fall into the depression mm -hmm. uh, you know one of them is uh, is after telling yourself something for so long that uh, this is a sign of weakness going for help is a sign of weakness mm -hmm. ask yourself is that true whose voice am I hearing my father's voice mm. my mother's voice my brother's voice? Whose voice is telling me that it's weakness to go for help? Mm. And, you know, we, we need to learn to challenge our own assessments mm. and of ourselves. And, uh, and the more we do that, uh, the more freedom we're going to have uh, to go for that help. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things I say to people when I meet with them is how much I appreciate their courage mm. um, to come and talk about something that's not easy for them to talk about and just um, and sometimes they're surprised when I say that but mm. and I mean it mm. you know when I, they know that I mean that when I'm right. saying it because um, yeah so just it's a kind of a flipping it to the opposite to see it uh, as a culture to see um, that it's a sign of courage and a sign of strength Right. It's a, a very painful journey. Mm -hmm. uh, the depression itself is extremely painful. Uh, the self-acknowledgement uh, of lack of control over what's happening to you is extremely painful. Uh, the movement of going out to seek help is also a very, very painful experience. And so it's, it's just all saturated with so many things that would keep us from doing it. Mm -hmm. And so for anybody who does do it, who does seek, seek out the help, you know, they really, as Sheila has said, they really need to be 
uh, applauded for the strength and, and facing down of the of the painfulness uh, that's uh, that they're living in mm. order in order to do that. When it comes to suicide, I, th I think probably one of the reasons why uh, we think about suicide and attempt and do it is uh, is to get rid of the pain. Mm -hmm. we, we want the pain to stop. And, uh, and after a while, uh, you know, that becomes a very simple statement. I want the pain to stop. Right. And we don't know what else to do. And that's why, you know, when the triangle is pivoting, uh, to have someone be able to say, you know what, we can help to make the pain stop. Mm -hmm. it, our critical, critical point of intervention. Um, and I've, you know, from working in the hospital, I've certainly seen younger and senior people, uh, you know, who have attempted suicide and uh, have been unsuccessful. Uh, feeling the the thankfulness that they weren't successful afterwards, mm -hmm. which is is quite you know quite amazing when you think of it. Right. That uh, you know it, it took them to the point of actually doing it, uh, where they were convinced that that was the thing to do. But then when they survived it, they realized that they were so thankful that they weren't successful right. in doing it. And uh, and for those who can are still well enough to recover, you know, from their attempt, that's really really good news. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I think people get to that point, and they need to understand, they need to know, they need to hear, you know, uh, that there is there is hope, and that God is bigger right. than this depression, and uh, He can help you to find. Uh, the healing that you need mm -hmm. to to get through it. Suicide is such a is such an angry act, and it leaves behind so much hurt. And um, so, the more uh, intervention that we can have, the better uh, it is, because it just doesn't affect the person who suicides, but it affects. Family, and friends, mm -hmm. and people that didn't even know you. Right. Uh, so it's uh, you know that's part of what we need to understand too. When I said, "Oh, the world would be better off without me," is a lie. You know, you know when we what we do get to that point where we say, you know, the world would be better off without me. I'm, you know, I shouldn't be here. And um, but then you have to say that that is definitely untrue. Uh, because your absence will be a, a real piece of torn fabric in the lives of the people who know you. And, uh, and that's not better off. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to remember that it's a crisis, and crisis um, like don't last forever. Mm -hmm. And when you're in it, you feel like it will. So yeah. I love the analogy of a tunnel. Right. And the light of the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know, and for people, if, even though I've often said, I'm, when I work with people, I hold up my hands like this to say that I will hold the hope for them until they're ready 
you know, to take it for themselves, that we can hold hope for people when uh, all they know is the darkness and the tunnel mm -hmm. with, without seeing the light, but it's there. They just right. don't see it. And so we can be the light holders for people um, uh, when we're not going through it for someone who is going through it. Right. But actually that reminds me of one other thing. And that is, we haven't said anything about this yet, but um, where there are people struggling with depression, there are often caregivers or, or, or loved ones behind the scenes, right? Mm -hmm. And so certainly we've gone through that. And um, when there's someone going through depression, the spouse or whoever the other person is, there can be a sense of a lot of uh, helplessness mm -hmm. and a sense of... Um, wanting to help, wanting it to be different. You know, you try different things to help the person. Um, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. It's a, it's a tough position to be in. Mm -hmm. So there's research on this suggesting that a lot of people who are the person closest to that person will, will often um, benefit from, uh, like it could be a support group or depending on how deep and how long the depression has gone. If it's a short-lived thing, not so much, but if it's a longer uh, type of depression that's going on. Um, so um, it's not uncommon for the person who's closest to that person to also have some, maybe some minor depression going on. Mm -hmm. So it's um, just to know that that's common, not to feel guilty yourself or all of that, and to know that feeling helpless is pretty normal. Right. Um, but again, making sure you get support. And that's the case for other situations too. Like, you know, when you have a family member who has Alzheimer's or dementia and all that, anybody who's trying to care for someone who's in a difficult place, mm -hmm. then, you know, the caregiver has to make sure that they're, they're getting uh, their needs met somehow. Right. Just have somebody to talk to or some, some way mm -hmm. to look after themselves. Yeah, and the why does God making me suffer gets answered by I must have done something terrible right. uh, to cause this to happen. And to be able to hear that uh, God isn't making you suffer. He is with you in your suffering. And suffering with us. And uh, yeah. um, and you and, and you are you are suffering. It's an important message, uh, and it has nothing to do with what you've done or not done. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't understand, we don't understand the reasons uh, why these terrible things happen. We, mm -hmm. we really, really don't. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we should be cautious about, about um, trying to answer the question. Mm -hmm. We are suffering. Why? I don't know why. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, does God know it? Yes. Did he bring it? I don't believe he brought it at all. Mm -hmm. I don't believe he sent it. Mm -hmm. uh, can he be there with you in it? Yes. How? Mm -hmm. when, uh, when John the Baptist mm -hmm. was, was in prison, uh, he asked his disciples to ask Christ are you the one, or should I be looking for another? Mm. And this is after John baptized Jesus and said, here's the uh, Lamb of God. Uh, this is after the uh, uh, 
the dove, you know, the spirit came down in the form of the dove at his baptism. Mm. And God says, the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, uh, so John is being shaken by his experience in prison and uh, the hopelessness that that brought about. Mm. And uh, he was an amazing prophet. So his job before was prophetically proclaiming the Lamb of God coming. But then he had to be reassured. Jesus said, go and tell John. Hmm. The blind see, the lame can walk. So that, you know, I think it's such a good, such a good picture of how interconnected uh, faith communities need to be mm-hmm. uh, because at one at one time I'm speaking to you at another time you're speaking to me mm-hmm. uh, one time Sheila is giving me all sorts of encouragement and another time you know somebody needs to give Sheila encouragement mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that is the dynamic of the of the living body, and um, you know, one day the foot is strong, mm. doesn't have a problem. Next day it's got a blister, and you're limping. Okay, the other foot's going to have to help. <laughs> that, and that's that's such a beautiful analogy. Right. Yeah. So it's not strange. So it's. It's not strange that your mom would be assuring her brother, even though the brother used to have that role. Mm-hmm. It's it just really, that is spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And I guess th- this, I want to give you both some time. Just imagine that white, that white ball is somebody's ear. Mm-hmm. I want both of you to take your time, give a, the listener Give them a piece of encouragement. It could be a little small snippet. It could be a story, whatever it may be, scripture. G- share something with them to help motivate them in somebody who might be suffering from these the, the, the topics that we're talking about. What is that something you would share with them? Well, if you're out there and you're listening, uh, I want you to know that there is hope when you feel hopeless and that there is light when you're surrounded by darkness and that when you're despairing of life itself and you feel almost dead that God can give you life life that you can appreciate and be thankful for so don't give up um, I think my message would be similar in terms of hope that um, this is a temporary um, issue that um, we face from time to time sometimes more deep and troubling than other times um, Sometimes it's fleeting, sometimes people experience it for some period of time, but um, 
yeah, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, this will pass. And also to uh, be looking to who or what you need in it so that you don't have to be alone in it. Whether it's um, God's presence that you can um, find surrounding you, if it's another person, we've talked about a pet, we've talked about different things, um, just to reach out. Even though you might not have the energy to do that, reach out and um, find what you need for that period of time. It's out there. The help is there. It's just getting connected to the right help at the right time, whatever form that takes. Yeah. On that note, could you could you both of you share what what are you what are you reading? What are you listening to? What am I reading? Yes. Yeah, so what are, what are you reading? What uh, currently, day to day? What are you? What books are you reading? <laughs> I just finished a book uh, on Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, just a, a very uh, informative, amazing book. Uh, and the thing that uh, came out of it for me was uh, never give up your curiosity and your appreciation for uh, the things that people take for granted. Uh, allow yourself to see things new uh, as if for the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things about Da Vinci was his incredible uh, sense of, uh, of, of perception so that he could look at something. Uh, the story is told of him being down by the <clears throat> by the river and seeing dragonflies and noticed that dragonflies have four wings and use two of them, the forward ones, independently of the back ones. And so he noticed that. And whereas we see a dragonfly, mm -hmm. maybe it's we just see a big bug mm -hmm. and it's flying by, <laughs> who cares, who cares, right? But he marveled at the uh, at that so anyway uh, I uh, have just finished a book on that right and uh, yeah. in terms of what I listen to I'm pretty boring in terms of what I listen to <laughs> so uh, 680 news is kind of a sta <laughs> stable diet <laughs> for, for me uh, and uh, I do turn it on several times a day uh, but I have heard, I don't know through where, through, that you are, you sculpt? I do. I, I like, uh, I do carve uh, oh. a wood and stone and, uh, and clay, um, air dry clay. You don't need a kiln to dry it. It dries from the air. So uh, I enjoy doing that. That's, right. uh, but that comes from observing, uh, you know, animals and things in the crazy antics that they do mm. and appreciating uh, you know how uh, how they do things so that's that's a love I've always had right and so I like I like to do that I find it very refreshing very um, you know very therapeutic really in, mm -hmm. in, a, in a sense and, uh, 
other things. Like I made this vest. Oh wow! So I, you know, went out and bought some leather and sewed it together. You know that type of thing. So I said, oh, uh, you know, why why go out and buy one? You know, right. you can make one. Right? So, so it's just fun just to do that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, well, I do a reading for my work, you know, mm. so I find that I don't like to read so much in my hobby time mm -hmm. or after work time, but I do have a devotional that I absolutely love. Um, that um, there's like a, a, a writing for every day and it's written like Jesus talking to us personally and it's just so amazing I just love um, that devotional it's so it's so personal and it's so real and it's it keeps bringing in scripture um, and yeah so that's I just love reading that devotional so that's important to me and um, for music I do love worship music. Uh, also, um, I love classical music. Um, it was, uh, I was trained in that from when I was young. I played classical guitar, and that was for my first degree, actually, was in music. Mm. Um, so, especially Baroque, Bach, you know, I think uh, Bach has such an amazing faith. Uh, he wrote to the glory of God or some such thing after every piece, you mm -hmm. know, that he wrote. and. Um, so I think that would probably be my favorite composer, really. Um, but any classical music I love to listen to. And I find it's very, um, not actually not just any classical music. There's some that's, uh, I don't like some dissonant, like really music that's meant to be dissonant because I think that it actually does something inside of us, inside of our brain. And I need something soothing and um, something that... Um, brings some kind of order as I think that God, how God sees the universe, like Bach I think is a perfect example of mm -hmm. that, um, such beauty that he captured in his music, so yeah, I love to do that, I love to listen to that, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So one book that um, um, a lot of people have um, uh, found helpful um, is called Mind Over Mood, Changing How You Feel by Changing the Way You Think by Dennis Greenberger and Christine Padesky, and it's put out by the Guilford Press. And um, you can get this online, of course, um, also in any bookstore. There's a lot of self-help books out there uh, put out by this um, series um, with the Guilford Press. Um, that's a, a great option for people. And um, so it's meant for self-help. Um, there's another book. Um, now, for people who have uh, what's called bipolar disorder, which is type of um, depression, um, it's a, there's a book out there called The Bipolar Disorder Survival Guide um, by David McLeod. Oh, how do you say that name? McLeod's? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's also uh, put out by the Guilford Press. So this would be people for people who have um, not only the depressive side, um, but also the manic side, which is um, what I call high high and low lows. So, for example, in the in the high part of of um, the experience, might be um, like mind racing, uh, maybe up all night, maybe doing things you never even dream about doing 
when you don't have the high going on. Um, uh, so maybe spending a lot of money, which mm, you wouldn't normally do, this type of thing. So um, that is a different kind of thing than, than uh, the regular major depressive disorder. Um, and needs a different, a little bit different treatment as well in terms of medication and that kind of thing. If if people have it um, seriously enough to need that, so just to maybe mention that um, as a specific type of thing when there's highs and lows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In terms of just general general idea of statistics for uh, major depressive disorder, um, about twenty percent of women in their lifetime will experience at least one major depressive uh, episode. And for men, it's about 10% of men in their lifetime. Um, so as far as the, the bipolar disorder, though, that's much, much, much more rare. Um, so it's the major depressive disorder. That's the one that's the really common one. Um, including for women, for example, uh, fairly common is postpartum. We haven't talked about that yet, but postpartum depression mm -hmm. is actually quite common. Uh, as well. So those are sort of a rough idea of the stats. On that note, Paul, would you mind closing us in prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your presence in our lives, most of all for the hope for this life and for the life to come. We pray, Lord, that uh, who's ever listening to this podcast, that they could sense your presence and that they could sense your hope. May you give each one courage. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you very much, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to the listener for listening. And if you have any comment, question, or any prayer requests, please do so by posting it on any social that this you find this podcast on. If you're listening through Spotify, if you're listening through Google Podcasts or iTunes, please do subscribe, and each episode will come automatically to your feed. And... Thank you very much. Stay tuned. We would like to thank Sheila and Paul Stevens for joining us tonight and would like to invite you to join us next week for another interesting podcast at Over the Edge.